welcome back to what very well might be the last edition of Covered in Glory, because my dear friend Brett Corominos has a terrible fate awaiting for him next week. For those of you who just follow our show and don't follow the rest of the network, we had an NCAA basketball bracket pool for the staff, and the winner got nothing, uh, which was me. So all I get is the joy of watching the loser of the entire pool have to pull from the dreaded cap of consequences. And that loser, folks, after the tiebreaker on Monday night, was our very own Brett Corominos. How are you feeling, Brett? I it's just anxiety, man. I saw what Martin had to do. I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared of Sal. All right, well, well, let's explore that, that that fear for a second. What is it you're exactly afraid of? What is the like one thing that could be in the oh, cap? Okay. That, like, so the one thing that, that the one thing that scared. I was worried about is I've made so many Milwaukee's best jokes. I literally thought that if you were going to be involved with this, you were going to make me do something involving Milwaukee's best and me vomiting. That was that was right about where my head was at. I was like, he is gonna oh. send me a case of like sun warmed Milwaukee's best, and I have to drink six of them before we start the soccer pod, which would probably help oh, my five my pickup. But my poor, my poor sweet, sweet Brett. That was a trap, and you walked right into it. Never expose your fears to Cousin <laughs> Sal Iacono. He has built an entire empire off of just messing with people. And I ask you a question, what you're most afraid of, and you answer into a live mic on his network? What are you doing? This is definitely going to be the last edition. You're not surviving well, okay. this. You're not right. ready. You're not ready for this. I was standing right here. Mikey Meatballs, our producer, just said he has all the consequences already. I thought I was in the clear. Now they're just going to get ripped nope. up and throw it out. Oh shit! Oh my god! Uh, see, I didn't know. Oh, I, it wasn't. It wasn't oh, that I, I was doing it on live mic, thinking that they were still out there. I thought I was like finished and they were finalized, and like all the draw was just going to happen. Now that I know what the hack can be redone, I, I want to rewind that. You, I'm not scared of that. I, you poor, I want that. Sal, you, I want that fate. I want to vomit. Poor, on this you Zoom. poor, poor noob. I I don't even know what to say to you. I like I I am half going to advise you to like take your shirt off or your pants off or something that makes the rest of the show completely unusable. Because once we air this, you <laughs> are finished. I mean, look, I've already thought about moving to another country and changing my identity, so that that's crossed my mind. So I, I guess I'm just taking my pants off and wandering around in the Zoom call. The pod does it. That's a way better option. <laughs> All right. Well, rather than just talk about your impending doom, as much joy as it does bring me, uh, we have the week we have been waiting for in the Premier League for quite some time. Uh, this is the week where people think the title is going to be decided. I think that's a little bit short-sighted uh, because, you know, the title is actually decided, Brett. And, of course, like, we're about to dive into Man City-Liverpool. The title is actually decided on a cold Tuesday, rainy night in Stoke. Like, these things are decided by the teams that don't drop points that are unexpected versus necessarily the head-to-head matchups. Uh, but the head-to-head matchups are by far the most fun things to talk about. And we have the king of them all coming up on Sunday. So you ready to dive in? Oh, my, anything that takes my mind off what's coming up next week. So let's do this. Let's talk <laughs> about things I it's like. It's perfect. It's perfect. It's like a last meal for you. I mean, is, is there something watch. in the hat where, like, you guys send me to the Liverpool uh, City match? Is that a thing? Like, is that one of, like, the like one out of 12? Like, one of those options is just I have to go there? <laughs> 
oh no sir there's there, there's no like uh oh if i pull out of this there's a reward and i just have to like dig deep enough and i get it it is nothing i'm just trying to, i'm trying to find any source of optimism that i can at this point just literally anything oh well, I admire you for keeping hope alive for a few days longer. Uh, so let's get into it. Manchester City first at 73 points versus Liverpool second at 72 points Sunday at 1130 a.m. EST. And if you are listening to this pod, I cannot imagine you care enough to listen to us and don't care enough to watch this game. So I think we're all going to be in the same place at the same time coming up this weekend. Uh, Manchester City is plus 110. The draw is plus 270. Liverpool is plus 235. So pluses across the board. Uh, if you want to take any sort of spread, Manchester City at minus half a goal stays, of course, at plus 110. And Liverpool to nick points here and make this a real, real, real title race is uh, minus 125. So... Brett, I mean, of course, I have my nonsense and my observations, but that's not what the people want to hear for a match of this importance. It deserves the heft that only you can bring to it. So give us a tactical breakdown of this match from your point of view. Uh, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, again, um, it's going to be in the same vein of what we always talk about, right? Like starting 11s. Uh, I mean, Pep, Pep has this thing where he kind of gets ridden pretty hard, and they actually asked him midweek during the Champions League about how he overthinks and tinkers too much in big matches and all that kind of stuff. Um, which, by the way, if you want to deep dive into that, go read Grace Robertson's newsletter. She did this on Pep and um, like basically his whole chain of what he gets blasted for as far as tweaking too much. And, and it's a very um, objective breakdown at all. It's awesome. And I think the one thing that I thought about is if you go back, if, if there's a Pep moment that's going to happen, that's going to come out in a certain 11. If you go back to the, the first match this year, the 2-2 uh, draw, both goals were your hero, Jao Cancelo's fault. If you go back far enough where the goal starts, you can look at him being too aggressive in diamond and tacklers positioning that kind of opened things up. And the first one is, is the goal that like Pep fears the most. It was the counter. It was Salah kind of spun out, dribbled through, played Mane, and Mane scored. That is That counter goal is the thing that Pep designs every single system that he goes into a big match trying to avoid and Cancelo gave up both. And he's obviously been like a mainstay. He's played the most outfield minutes of any city player. If there was some weird, random fluky pep thing that was going to happen, it was going to be that Cancelo will somehow not be in like the starting 11 and like Nathan Aki will be playing left back uh, and then a super defensive, like our fullbacks aren't going forward. We're not going to get countered. We will take a zero, uh, a nil, nil, draw and just move on and have, you know, basically a leg up in the title race. Um, but other than that, the really cool part about these two teams playing each other and, you know, correct me if you think I'm wrong in this, they don't change like Liverpool, like the possession was about even, which is very rare for any team that plays city, like every other team that plays city, even probably Chelsea to a degree, but every other team that plays city, they, they basically, you punt possession against city, Like you punt the possession game, you, most teams don't really try to aggressively press them unless, you know, you get like the random Southampton team, Haas Noodle, who's got a, a manager that typically does that. Um, but their possession was even in the last game. Um, and I think that that's kind of what the most fun is. is Liverpool's going to press. They're going to, they're going to, they're not going to be like, you know, balls to the wall pressing, but they're going to go after it a little bit. And then City is going to obviously still try to do what they do. They're going to win the ball back aggressively after they lose it. They're going to try to slow the tempo, control possession. 
Um, and so this is what's really fun about this matchup is it's not like the Atletico match that City played midweek where <laughs> Simeone literally played a 5-5 and just was like, I don't want them. I don't want the ball. I don't care if we get a shot. Like, we're just going to give up all the territory, all the possession to City. Hopefully we get lucky on a counter, try to, you know, try to nick a point and then go back, you know, to Spain and then and then win there. Um, this is just two teams that are going to play their style and they have the players to do it and the personnel to do it. And I think that to me is like, what is the most fun about it? Um, and then the one other big thing is that um, a very key figure is going to be healthy and available for Liverpool. And that's Thiago. And also Trent Alexander Arnold is back because James Milner started at right back in the October matchup. Um, and so the thing about Thiago and Milner um, is that if you look at Liverpool's on off expected goal totals, Thiago is at the very top of all outfield players that um, have over a thousand minutes. He has made Liverpool the best version of themselves when he has been on the pitch. Milner, for you know, God bless him, great great career. I think he's uh, it's actually been an underrated thing. We could have a whole podcast probably about James Milner's career, but he's at the very low end of that spectrum on Liverpool with all guys over a thousand minutes. So that one little swap out of personnel. You're going to see a big upgrade, which I think might cancel out the fact that this isn't at Anfield and it's at the Etihad. Um, but I, I'm, I mean, I'm so excited for this. It's just awesome. I, I cannot wait. And I don't think we're going to see anything crazy. I think we're just going to see two really good starting 11s, the two teams trying to impose their own style on the game, and then hopefully a lot of fun. Yeah. So in my notes, uh, Thiago is written down over and over and over again, because, I mean, when you have a heavyweight matchup like this, like a lot of times when we're talking about matches, we're talking about the exploitation of the other team's weakness or the other team's worst player Mm -hmm. or, you know, what they don't do well. But uh, Liverpool and Manchester City have world class players basically in every spot on the entire 22 across the entire pitch. And so, like, I'm not sure there is a quote unquote a weakness. I mean, there there's comparative strengths and there's comparative, you know, bright spots and down spots, but every single guy who's going to be on that pitch on Sunday is one of the best in the world at his position. I mean, what, by whatever definition that is. So in that kind of matchup, now you're talking about uh, a moment of individual brilliance that transcends the game and actually kind of decides something like this. And Thiago has been, absolutely unbelievable the last couple of uh months or i mean beyond that like he's been unbelievable for a long time and him versus uh kevin de bruyne in the midfield while they might not you know constantly be clashing their those two guys their ability to orchestrate and influence uh from their positions in the middle of this game is actually how i see it being decided in a lot of ways i absolutely can't freaking believe how good kdb looks right now i mean like Zidane probably played the game with a lot more artistry Mm -hmm. and he's remembered as such, but like KDB is going to be the midfielder that I remember from this generation 20 years from now. And I think he's at, you know, basically the peak of his powers every single time down the pitch. He seems to orchestrate, I'm sorry, orchestrate an A plus opportunity again and again and again and again. It's, it's so crazy to watch. So I think that's where a lot of this is going to be decided. Obviously, you know, TAA and uh, Consuelo, like playing the position as uniquely as anybody else in the world right now and bringing their individual strengths is is certainly going to be heard from. But I think if we, you know, really went down the list, we talked that way about every single person out there. Um, They certainly won't have the same space that they had last week against like Watford and Burnley where the goals they were scoring kind of looked like training exercises. Um, And so I, 
you know, I'll, I'll get to my prop in a second, which is where I, I will address, you know, how how this game might change from some of their, their previous tactical outlook. But just giving a pick before I get down the rabbit hole of, uh, of a prop, it's just a matter of odds. Uh, I'm taking the big plus number because I think all three outcomes are equally likely in a lot of ways. Like Liverpool looks unbelievable. Manchester City, of course, is world class. I don't value the empty head all that much. So if you take, you know, the uh, home pitch advantage that gets weighted into these odds and remove it and, you know, I get all th- I get the choice of the three options. I'm going to take Liverpool at plus 235. Yeah, I mean, I went back and forth on this and I, I do I do think that, you know, obviously this this match being at the Etihad is going to play a role in some way or, or another. I mean, especially just given the intensity of the match, like I, I went back and watched the highlights of the October one, you know, before we recorded today. And it was just like those goals, like you could feel it even in watching the replay months ago, the emotion behind that game. And, you know, both these teams know like this, this match is going to go a long way. It's probably the end of Liverpool's title hopes that they lose. Um, and it's probably put vaults them ahead of city if they win. Um, and so I do think like where this match being played matters, but I also do think that there was a lot of, um, missing pieces for Liverpool. There was Milner at right back. There's Curtis Jones in the midfield. Now you're going to have, uh, TAA and Thiago in the midfield coming up most likely. I mean, unless there's a surprise here, um, you know, and whether it's like Firmino's in at striker or Yota, like they play differently. Um, but they are, they're still just as effective, but in, in the different ways. Um, so I think this match to me, it's hard to pick a team to win because there's no edge. And so the draw, like, just seems like the natural thing. Like even in the October matchup, they're non-penalty XG. So non-penalty XG is basically, um, kind of a different way to look at a match. It's like how all the, the, the passes that were played in the box, things like that, you know, would have added value to their scoring. The non-penalty XG was exactly the same. The expected goal totals, exactly the same. So they're just, to me, there just isn't anything that separates these two teams. And if you kind of get the little boost of like Alexander Arnold coming back in and Thiago making Liverpool incredible because he's been one of the best midfielders in the world the last eight, nine years, um, this, this is just dead even. And you're getting plus money for two teams that are dead even. So that's, to me, if you're going to go on the spread, like that's where you park your money. So you you're taking the draw straight up, not yeah. Liverpool and the draw. Yeah, the draw. Okay. Yeah. Plus plus two seventy. It's a gutsy pick. I mean, with the range of outcomes, you know, getting an exact zero zero one one two two. Um, I think you're probably getting about true odds for that versus you know a team nicking out a one goal victory or a referee decision or somebody slipping and making a mistake and giving up a cheap goal kind of deciding that away from the draw. So I, I, I think that's a good pick as well, because uh, I do think, you know, these teams are about as even as a match as we're going to see at the top of the Premier League, I don't know, in years. Um, but here's here's my observation on the prop side. And I, I don't know if you feel the same way. I mean, I don't think it's purely selection bias, uh, but watching Manchester City, because they're such a great team, uh, they play in a couple of matches like this every year, right? They play against another world-class opponent in a high-stakes game, um, you know, six, seven, eight times a year through the Premier League and through tournaments. And just isolating down to those games, my memory of them, not, you know, I, I went back and did some research and watched some highlights, but I certainly didn't rewatch the whole things for all of them, 
is that City tends to slow things down and play very slow, controlled football at the outset of these matches. I mean, we often say that uh, Klopp is heavy metal football and um, and Pep is more, you know, classical music or jazz. And so, like, classical music or jazz builds to a crescendo. This isn't Bulls on Parade where or Sweet Child of Mine where they're blasting music <laughs> right off the first note. Uh, they start a little bit slower and build and build and build as the game progresses. And so, you know, looking at them versus Atletico in the Champions League this past week, uh, look at them at Chelsea in January, looking at them, uh, their two matches against PSG in the Champions League in the, in the pool play, and their first uh, match against Liverpool. Those six matches, only in one instance, was there a goal scored in the game in the first 30 minutes? And it was one of the matches against PSG. These games are not usually decided on the front foot right out the beginning. They're decided later on in the game after City, you know, kind of grinds it down a little bit and maybe opens up play and pushes pace a little bit more. So there is a bet for this. Give me goal scored up to the 30th minute. No. And it's only minus 105. So I love that bet. You can take it, you can win it, and you can still root for an awesome game of football over the 60 minutes that follow. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's I, I think that's actually a great bet. I mean, that's a very creative way to look at, you know, how City approach these matches for sure, as far as like the marketplace. And I mean, yeah, it, it's every it's like we talked about from the opening. Like Pep's whole thing is he doesn't want to get countered, he doesn't want to go down early, he doesn't want to play a goal behind. So, you know, that's why he, even against, um, when you, if anybody who actually watched that grindy Atletico match, um, you know, you could tell, like, even though Liber or Atletico was just literally sitting in these two five-man blocks, like, Pep was not letting guys commit forward. Like, Nathan Ake had very conservative positioning. Like, John Stones would maybe make a run, like, forward a little bit. You know, Cancelo obviously was doing his thing where he drifts forward and into the final third, but they were essentially still kind of playing like a back three against a team that was clearly parking the bus, setting up shop in a five-five. And only did they kind of really put the they kind of push down on the pedal until later when De Bruyne got the goal. Um, so I do think that's a great bet. I I am just like so all in though on this idea that these two teams are even and like it's hard to see this game being a super grindy nil nil affair. I mean, maybe like this is just me not wanting that. Like I don't want to spend 90 minutes watching the two best teams in the world, like grind out a nil nil draw. Cause nobody, you know, cause Pep doesn't want to lose. Um, but I do think just with the overall talent, it's hard to see this game be a total goal fest. I mean, they, the both teams got lucky with the chances that they created in the first match to have two goals each. Everything about that match said that that game was going to be right around one, one. Um, and I think this is going to be the same thing. And you're getting plus 600. So if both these teams are even, and if the, your main range is probably nil, nil or one, one, if you're looking at the draw outcomes, you're getting plus 600 for one, one, that just seems like a natural fit to me. I, I just don't see this match other than like you said earlier, there could be the thing where it's one, one, somebody slips. I mean, the second goal in the first match was Matip basically ran across the six yard box when De Bruyne was shooting deflected into the other end of the net. So like, yeah, fluke outcomes happen, but you know, it's also football, man. Like this is what happens. Yeah. And 
Sterling needs to stop running with his arms extended. Somebody's <laughs> just going to take target practice at his hand in the box and just kick it into the head and draw a penalty just because he runs in a super weird way sometimes. Um, so this is the game of the year, and I wrote down some other props. I think Brett and I actually see this in a very similar way. I mean, we're not – neither of us are looking at a shootout. Um, I'm kind of married to this, this slow beginning and I'm going to bet it pretty heavily in the five pint. Uh, but here are some other ones I wrote down that are uh, similar to the vein or an opportunity to fade us. Uh, one to two goals as the total goals in the game is plus 140. Two to three goals is plus 105. Uh, if you want to completely fade that, anything other than one to three goals is plus 145. So if you want zero, zero or two, two or higher, uh, that's a good way to get plus money. Um, the under 2.5 is plus 120, and both teams to score no is plus 142. Here's a couple more. Sorry, game of the year. It's like the Super Bowl. Uh, I'm going to interject the other one that I was kicking around after you're done with your list. Sure. But go ahead. No, sure. I want you to finish. Uh, you're yeah, on, you're yeah. Almost done. Almost done. Uh, half with the most goals. The second is plus 106. So if you like it to open up a little bit more uh, in the second half, particularly if one of the teams, probably Liverpool, starts chasing a bit, uh, I, I actually like that bet quite a bit. Uh, scoreless draw at the half is plus two fifty, um, and then let's see here. This is my favorite. These are my favorite two. Um, Manchester City, the first goal to happen in the second half is plus two ten, and Liverpool, the first goal to happen in the second half is plus two hundred. So you could take both of those. Uh, I mean, if you hit both, obviously it's wonderful. If you hit either one of them, you get really nice return on uh, on your portfolio there. And that's just saying, hey, it's going to be a slow first half, but game on in the second. Yeah, I mean, one of the ones that I I had, and this is probably I came pretty close to actually going with this one though, is that we talk all the time about where who is, who is in the starting eleven and where those players are in the starting eleven, and Bernardo Silva. In a match like this, it's probably going to play as a false nine. Normally, he gets jammed as part of the midfield three, or sometimes he's out on a wing. But in a match like this, where Pep wants a guy that's going to press, that's going to help him control possession, that's going to be positionally sound when they lose the ball. Um, you know, he had Grealish as kind of the false nine in the in the first matchup here. Um, but Bernardo Silva's plus one ten for a shot on target. So if he's playing deeper mm. in the midfield. You're not, you don't have a, as big of an edge on that bet, but he's going to play, probably play as part of the front three. Now, obviously, you can wait till the starting 11 comes out and see where he's at and then, you know, kind of project the lineup a little bit. But if he's playing as a nine, like he's going to be in and around the box. Like he's going to be one of the guys there. They're, it's not like these, this game is only going to have like four or five shots. You know, it's probably going to be nine, 10, 11 shots per team, per team here. So I kind of like Silva is getting one of those shots at plus 110, like getting plus money for the guy basically playing striker for City. So that was one that I thought about really hard. Um, but the other, the only, the only drawback to that one to me is that Silva is very good at link play. And so he's also like very unselfish. Like Mares, if Mares was playing the nine, I'd be like, yeah, if you're getting plus money for Dark, Mares is nine. You're not getting plus money on Mares. No <laughs> he chance. He is going to be gunning that shit from midfield. But Silva's a little bit different as a striker, but I still think it's a good thing because he will just be the guy that just by the de facto nature of if Pep plays him as a nine, he will be the guy asked to get into the box when they do their shit of playing somebody through and looking to cut it back. Silva will be the guy that's there looking to get those shots off. So I kind of like that you were getting plus money for him. I almost went yeah. with it, but I'm just so hell bent on this draw. I couldn't get away from it. 
Uh, no, I love that one as well. Uh, all right, well, and uh, we spent a good 18, 20 minutes on that one, but uh, please, if as I said, if you're within the range of my voice right now and you love the beautiful game, then this is the one we've been waiting for on oh. Sunday. We hoped all year for a real title race. It looked like Manchester City was going to run away with it. Uh, Liverpool kind of caught fire, pulled them back. And our reward as football fans is this game coming up uh, in a couple of days. So we hope that you enjoy it just as much as we will. But I guess we're going to talk about the other four well, games as well. On, which I we just want to go back. Also, if you're one of the people that Toby mentioned that you listen to us, but you're not going to watch this game, please reach out to me. I just want to know you on a personal level because you fascinate me. So if that is the <laughs> box that you fit in, that you listen to this soccer podcast, but you're like, ah, I'm not going to watch that fucking Liverpool city match. I want to know you. Yeah. Come be my friend. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can vouch for how great it is to know Brett on a personal level, <laughs> particularly if, if he'll start letting you bet against him and you get to start taking money yeah, off of him. Well, so do it for that. Or get free else. beer basically for the uh, rest of your life. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's talk about the other four games. Uh, first, we got to take this quick break. Okay, we are back and we are taking a trip to Brett's place of pain after that six pointer uh, mid or midweek made Everton an actual coin flip to get relegated. So here we are with them facing Manchester uh, United, Everton sitting 17th, 25 points, Manchester United 7th at 51 points. Saturday at 7.30 a.m. So Brett could get this out of the way as fast as possible and not have it ruin his weekend. <laughs> uh, Everton is plus 350. Manchester United is minus 130. The draw is plus 290. Manchester United uh, minus half a goal is minus 130. Everton is plus 110. The floor is yours, my friend for uh, rooting for a team that looked like it was going to finish to the top half and now might be on its way to the championship. Well, so here's the thing. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go full hench here. I mean, I can't, I can't match that, but this does feel like a moment where like at the end of Scooby-Doo when you were a kid and they pull off the mask and be like, Oh, like Mr. Robertson. Um, I really have been like, a Leeds fan this whole time. I just want everybody to know. That. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> no, but in all in all seriousness, uh, the Everton thing really hasn't affected me uh, in a lot of ways. I think you know part of the reason is you know I didn't grow up I didn't grow up local. Like I'm not a Liverpool lad that moved to America. Um, and I think you know part of it is Everton. The reason I love them as a club early on was David Moyes was there, and they were like the super efficient team with their money and they, you know, were part of the community and they can only buy players if they sold them first, you know, and, and now they're just this bloated behemoth to bring in, you know, shady Russian oligarchs to finance their shit. And it's like, at this point, I just genuinely would not give a shit if they got relegated. I'd probably almost find it. What, um, what stage of grief is gaslighting? I didn't know that. I didn't I mean, know that I was anywhere know. on the chart. Maybe I'm just a maybe I'm just a sociopath. I don't mean you're finding this out on the pod right now that I have no connection in. Well, you do like sitting um, in the dark and watching soccer <laughs> doing spreadsheets. So it's not that big a leap of faith to think you might be a I sociopath. Don't do those, I don't do all those things at once. Okay. The lights are on when my spreadsheets are <laughs> on. <up. laughs> um, no, but as far as Everton, like they this has been truly pathetic. You and I hit this immediately when Frank Lampard was hired. This is the wrong guy to put in charge of a team that is spiraling and free-falling 
and in a serious threat of relegation. He was the wrong person to do this. And they are just basically taking their medicine with that right now. He is just rolling out lineups. There's not a coherent plan. They've had some, they had some bad luck with red cards, but also those red cards have come because he puts guys in positions to do shit that gets them in trouble. And I, I think to me, they are playing really poorly. Like if you looked at the underlying numbers of the Burnley game, you'd be like, oh, well, they outplayed them. You know, it was two, they, they created 2.4 expected goals. Burnley only created 1.5. Well, penalties, which of which they drew two, are 0.75 expected goals. So in all reality, Everton was outplayed in every single facet by a Burnley team that we know under Sean Dyche has an identity to just set up shop and counter. Like this isn't some teams like, like Newcastle where they bought a bunch of players and started playing expansive football. Like this is still Sean Dyche boring ass Burnley. And he called out Everton in the post-game press. I don't know if you saw that. Basically said he told everybody at halftime that he didn't, they don't know how to win. Um, and Burnley and Burnley just been generally beat them. They, the, their non-shot XG, which is a number that I brought up for the Liverpool match, Burnley um, had 1.8 expected goals to Everton's 1.1. So they just were creating more and better chances. I, I just think Everton is in a, a terrible place right now. They're not playing well. Their best, maybe their best midfielder. I don't know if they have any good players anymore, but Allen is still out on the red card. So United's like minus 125 to just cover a half a goal spread. I kind of want to take your mortgage and put it on that. Um, yeah. So uh, to me, that's just the obvious thing. Everton's been so bad. Yeah. I, you just have to take it. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I don't even have to analyze Manchester United really to make a decision here. Like just hearing you talk um, while you might be Scooby-Dooing all of us and been a Leeds fan all along, like playing at home right now for Everton is more of a disadvantage than an advantage. Like it seems to me that their fans are actively hostile to this version of the team and aren't <laughs> yeah. exactly going yeah. to be making the, the guys on the pitch feel more comfortable than they would on the road. I mean, I think they'd be better off on a neutral pitch or on the, or on um, maybe not at Manchester United, but at uh, a less intimidating stadium than the theater of dreams than playing at home right now. So then, well, I, I thought about this too, because United doesn't really have anything to play for. Like, I mean, maybe if they win, it's great. Like they kind of are in the top four race, but we also kind of, they also kind of know that like Spurs and Arsenal are way ahead. So there's like no pressure on them. And there's a shit ton of pressure. On well, then, I mean, I mean, come on, like the Manchester United's best path to the champions league is through Europa. Uh, so they yeah. at least want to qualify yeah, for, they need to qualify for that. And West Ham's keeping that a race. Uh, but either way, I'm just straight up fading Everton right now. Um, how can you possibly take Everton at even money against almost anyone uh, to get the points? I mean, it just it doesn't make sense to me. I'm betting this blind versus who's on the other side of the field. Eventually, they <laughs> might turn it around. Although last week we talked about how there, there might actually be no bottom for how far this can fall. Uh, but it's going to take a lot more juice than minus 130 to make me back them. So give me Manchester United blind bet minus 130 to win this game. Yeah, I mean, I I, I kind of wanted to. I mean, I kind of wanted to put all five pints on this, which I'll get to at the end, how many I actually put in. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's really hard to pick against anything uh, but United. And then for me, the kind of the obvious one was if Everton does somehow pull out a miracle win. Their attack has been brutal. So I'm guessing it's going to be like a one nil. They fade some chances from United type of thing. 
And then I also think that if United win, it's probably because they're pretty staunch defensively. At least that's the one thing that Rangnick has done. <laughs> Get well. out of here. Uh, I mean, they've been better than under OGS. They've actually been one of the better teams in the Premier League defensively since Rangnick has come on board. Say what you want to say about it. And if you're one of the better defensive teams in the Premier League, you're one of the better defensive teams in the world. That's just how it is in world soccer right now. I, I, I don't um, have to but, look at a single spreadsheet. Any team that's employing Harry Maguire and giving up that much space in the <laughs> middle is not one of the best teams in the world. I, I, simple rule for me. Well, I didn't say they're one of the best teams in the world. I said they're one of the better defensive teams in the world. Right. But the whole point is that's a roundabout way of saying, in my estimation, if one team wins or the other, or if there's a draw, it's probably because there's no scoring. So both teams to score no at plus 105 was my prop because I just think you have probably a better than, I don't know, 50% chance of one of these matches and ends with nobody scoring. Yeah, I'm going the other way. Uh, my prop is over 2.5 goals, minus 120. Ooh. Uh, I mean, I think it's kind of like Lampard, the only way out is in right now and to get more attacking is he sure as hell ain't going to get more defensive. I don't think either team is particularly well organized in the back. And I definitely don't think either team is even is even capable of executing like a grind them out strategy. So I think we're going to end up with an open game uh, that might be fun for the neutral, particularly those of you who are enjoying the chaos that Everton's in. Um, and I think there'll just be a lot of opportunities to hit the over. Now, the ability to convert those opportunities might be a little suspect, but with the chances there, uh, I'm going to take the over versus the under at only having to lay minus 120. I mean, I. I could also see it go in that direction too. Again, Everton are dumpster fires. So bring on all facets of results. Anything could happen. All right. Well, it wasn't a particularly good week to be a blue of uh, either of our ilk. So let's get over to Southampton versus Chelsea. Uh, Southampton 12th at 36 points versus Chelsea third at 59 points. This game is Saturday at 10 a.m. Southampton is plus 300. Chelsea is minus 110. The draw is plus 270. Chelsea at minus half a goal stays at minus 110 and Southampton is minus 105. So you're basically taking a coin flip of uh, Chelsea taking home all three points this week. So I know you are chomping at the bit to crap all over my beloved blues. And I'm going to let you loose on that since that seems to be your thing this week is just just crapping on uh, your team, my team, any team that you can get your mouth against. Uh, But... (laughs) I am uh, probably stubbornly, maybe blindly, maybe stupidly, I'm backing my boys, and it's not because of the guys on the pitch. It's the manager more than anything else. Uh, a lot of the, their woes in this last week where they conceded seven goals in two games at home, uh, both in the Premier League and then in the Champions League against Real Madrid, a lot of them were mental, and I just really deeply feel in my bones that Tuchel is too good to let that keep happening over and over again. And if you put aside the horrendous mistake by Mendy midweek in the Champions League, they basically played Madrid to a draw on XG. And just one team had Benzema and one team didn't. So it ended up being 3-1. Um, they, they got randomly crushed last year by relegation-bound West Brom. And everybody started to write them off. That game, I think, was 5-2 at the bridge around the same time. And what happened after that? They came back and won the Champions League. So I think... Uh, the small sample size declaring their demise might be a little bit exaggerated. I think they are capable of tightening things up, and I still think they have world-class talent in the defensive half that will allow them to win this game. Then on the other side of the ball, South ha- Southampton hasn't kept a clean sheet against a team besides Norwich or Everton since uh, November 5th 
a run of 23 games. So Chelsea, I believe, will get opportunities to convert in this game. And I can't believe it's nearly even money for them to do so at a higher rate than they make mental mistakes at the other end of the pitch, given their defensive pedigree. So I know that recent trends are going to point towards uh, Southampton, you know, stealing some points off a team that that's trending downward. But I believe in Tuchel. I believe in the Blues. I believe I've seen this movie before, and I believe at minus one ten, uh, this uh, these odds should be higher. And I'm going to go ahead and lay it. All right. So here's my thing. First off, you and I have been on the same side of Chelsea and Tuchel way more than when I trolled you with the middle Middlesbrough pick. Uh, they're coming back up in this little little speech, by the way. Sure. Um, but but one of the things that I've noticed is, is you brought West Brom, and I think that's actually um, a perfect segue into maybe the difference between last year and this year. In the West Brom match, it was definitely a one-off performance. There was a, there was a red card, I'm pretty sure, in that match. Am I remember that? I believe so, and yeah. even with And even with that red card and the penalty, like it was still like an even match. Like in theory, if you calculated the chances, expected goal chances, that match ends in a draw instead of five, two, like way, way, way more often. Um, But the difference between that result and the Madrid one is the Madrid one has been part of a string of sort of underwhelming Chelsea performances lately. So against Norwich, who we have constantly mocked on this podcast for being one of the worst teams in Premier League history, um, you know, Chelsea had one point in XG to one against Newcastle who are better, but still not good. They had that super grindy, awful match where it was like point and where they created point eight XG to point two. And they just kind of ground out a one Oh, win. I think like a Havertz header. Um, then they went to Lille. Now granted when they played Lille it was the second leg of the champions league. They had a lead. They could play more conservatively. They could give up some chances. They, they had some money to play with. But even still, Lille, who was not at all an attacking force, doubled them up on XG there. Then they went to play Middlesbrough, where they rolled out one of their better lineups still in the FA Cup um, semifinal or quarters. quarterfinal or whatever. Quarters. quarters. There you go. Um, so Middlesbrough, they only outshot Middlesbrough 11 to 6. So I'm going to put that in perspective. Brighton, again, another team not an attacking powerhouse, outshot Norwich 30 to 6 last weekend. In matches like that, you would typically expect a team to completely bury another team in shots as part of a sign of just the gap in in talent between the two sides. And we didn't see it. And then against um, Brentford, they legitimately got out created by Brentford. And Brentford was one of the teams that we, even just three weeks ago, we were talking about them as a relegation candidate. Um, And then the Madrid match, which, which I agree a lot of the chances came off individual mistakes that typically you don't see in Tuchel, you don't see from Silva, you don't see in the way that they close down. But it also is kind of part of a string of performances that tell me something weird is going on in Chelsea. Um, oh, you think something so weird South- is happening at Chelsea? Like well, a, a government yes. takeover of uh, the team? In terms of their performance on the pitch, I understand there's stuff going on outside of the club. But as far as their performance on the pitch, it's worrisome signs of their actual underlying performance is something that makes me wonder if maybe the outside stuff is creeping in or maybe if there's something we're missing with because there's been a lot of guys in and out of the lineup too with Chelsea lately. You know, the midfield has been constantly turned over. We've had the Lukaku saga. saga. Reese James has been out, and we know how hugely important he is. Now he's just come back in. Their center backs have been hurt. We've seen Saar make appearances in pretty, you know, important matches. Um, so to me, it's just tough. They're they're playing away from Stamford Bridge. 
I'm a, a Haas and Hoodle fan. My hot take is United should have had him as one of their finalists um, for that job. Um, but I think Southampton had plus money to win. It's just hard for me not to see some slippage going on here. And Southampton can be really good on their best day. We have seen that against City. When that press is cooking and when they have their full healthy lineup out there with Ward-Prowse and Romeo and Redmond and uh, Shea Adams and Adam Armstrong or Adam uh, Armando Borgia, like this team isn't lacking in talent, but it's not a bunch of bums that they roll out. And so when you're getting plus 295, basically you're getting three to one that Southampton get a win in this match. And I think that happens with what, everything that's going on. So for me, I would actually think that there's value in the money line of Southampton. Um, and then to go with the prop bet, if they win, it's not going to be because Southampton rolls them with the press and they win like 4-1. It's going to be by a goal and it's going to be by the skin of their teeth. So Southampton's also plus 390 to just win by one goal. Um, and I'm going to, I think I'm going to put, take that prop as well. Sure. I encourage you to put it in your five pint, but forget your Manchester United oh, it is. Everton it is. fade. It is in the I, I would, I mean, all five, like why bet anything else? I mean, you had so <laughs> much success with Middlesbrough. You're already going to drink. You're already going to drink for free. And I already went over five last week. Like, yeah. You already <laughs> had so much success. Gonna, with Middlesbrough. You, hand you, it to you. you literally just made my night. Like I, I can no longer give you a second mortgage to bet against Everton. Cause I need that money to take my prop, which is Chelsea to win. And, uh, uh, over 1.5 goals at plus 140. Because based off of your history of when you think that uh, it's the time to go against the Blues, I feel extraordinarily good about the outcome of this match. And besides, you and I both know one thing: we got to go over 1.5 because Rudiger alone is good for two. <laughs> he did it. He, he did, did it. it. Yes, 35 plus yards. He did it. it we, was, didn't, we didn't take time to celebrate that enough. It was really the worst thing that happened to Chelsea uh, short of the government seizing all of their funds and, and ruining their season. Well, you know, you know what I things. really wanted? What I really wanted at that moment was I wanted, I don't know if anybody, I'm sure everybody's seen this. It's a U.S. soccer fan, but the videos of the reaction to Landon, Landon Donovan's goal. I wanted that for every Chelsea fan watching Rudiger launch that shit from 35 and actually seeing it go in with you just constantly cutting to you the before yeah. the celebration, the after. Yeah. And well, then just he, uh, I mean, I don't just make those <laughs> jokes on this podcast. Like my nine year old has heard me make Rudiger jokes over and over and over again. <laughs> and she wasn't watching the match with me. Uh, she was upstairs doing something and that, you know, that rocket goes in and I just started laughing maniacally and started screaming. He did it! He did it! He did it! And my nine-year-old comes running down the stairs. And this is how many times I've made that joke. She goes, was it Rudiger? And, <laughs> yes. Um, but it really yes. was. It was the worst thing oh that happened. <laughs> it was the worst thing that this happened. This is why there needs to be a camera on you when you watch Chelsea games. I needed that moment. I know. It's like a, everybody needed that moment. They like, needed that moment of you laughing and then your daughter coming in and knowing that laugh. Yes. The, oh like God. the panda cam at the zoo. Like people watch it all over the world just <laughs> yes, wait for him to throw exactly. some crap. Uh, but speaking, like, speaking of throwing crap, it really was the worst thing that could happen oh. to R Rudiger. It's just like when Westbrook makes his first three. It's like, oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, oh yeah. great. Because now he's going to shoot nine more of them. Rudiger led the team in shots. He led the team in shots. He took six freaking shots that game. It is so <laughs> outrageous. Um, but anyway, I mean, back to the bet. I, 
I love the balance of juice I'm getting for uh, Chelsea by adding the over here versus Chelsea just winning 1-0 since I'm so convinced they're going to win. They can certainly leak one on current form, so they're not the only ones that has to contribute to the over here. But either way, I still like them to score twice in this matchup given the gap in quality between their attacking players and Southampton's defense. And now I feel even better given your prediction. Though I will say (laughs) I said a very similar thing last week against Brentford about how confident I was. And then, of course, they got rolled. So, hey, if you're out there listening to me, fade or follow. It's it's a coin flip right now. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll have to see what happens because I actually – I trusted your boys last week too against Brentford to cover a a half-goal spread and – that clearly did not go well. Oh, I know. So, I, so we'll get we'll get to the five point results here in a couple of minutes when we get to the end of the show. But uh, expect a lawsuit to show up at your door any second now because I'm suing you for intentional affliction of emotional damages for taking Chelsea last week at minus two ninety as a slump buster and putting your fucking stink all <laughs> over my team and leading to the worst week that we've all had on the pitch. All year, I mean, all calculated. God, I think I know. I know how toxic I am, so I just constantly want to pick your team. Yeah, no, I mean, if you go get a lawyer, you need to be talking settlement, not jury trial, because there's no way you're winning this one. Um, (laughs) all right, (laughs) moving on. We got a couple matches left, and we're already running long, so let's get through these pretty quick. Uh, This is the real race for the fourth slot in the Champions League right now, and it comes down to Arsenal and the Spurs. Let's start with Arsenal at 5th at 54 points versus Brighton 13th at 34 points. Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern, Arsenal is minus 160. Brighton is plus 475. The draw is plus 290. Arsenal minus half a goal stays at minus 160, and Brighton moves up to plus 140. Uh, So we said last week we really liked Arsenal to grind out points and finish 4th, and I'm not going to let one bad game against Crystal Palace kind of change my mind that quickly, but it it was a really bad day. Um, the space between the center backs and the fullbacks was exploited time and time again. And there was just zero creative spark up front whatsoever. Um, but I just think they're still a good team and we won't see that bad of a performance twice in a row. I think that last week probably saved us about 40 points of juice on this game because they did look so bad. I think this would probably look Mm -hmm. more like minus 200 if, uh, they had, you know, done what they would were expected to do against crystal palace. So I'm taking the gunners to bounce back keep their narrow lead for the race for fourth and to go ahead and win this game. Yeah, I'm actually going to do the same thing. Uh, minus 155, I think it was a payout for a uh, half goal spread <clears throat> for Arsenal to cover. Um, I just don't trust Brighton. They're uh, they're first off, they're banged up. They're, they're losing some key players here and there. Adam Webster is a center back who probably no one has heard of, but he's actually really important. Um, I think the loss of Ben White to um, coincidentally Arsenal um, was a big deal for them as well. Uh, I think those two actually contributed a ton towards their maintaining defensive stability, but also in their attack. Cause those two guys are both really good at either playing or moving the ball into the attacking third. Um, and Brighton did pummel Norwich, but everybody pummels Norwich at this point. Um, so it's hard to read into that. Uh, so I think Arsenal, the win, I feel confident about, the prop bets, it was hard. That marketplace was a little weird this week. Um, the one I finally settled on is I I do think an Arsenal win in over one and a half goals uh, plus 105. This is more like a gut pick, which maybe at this point I should stop picking with <laughs> quantitative data and just go by feel. Um, but it just kind of seems like, you know, you talked about the way that that Palace of all teams kind of exploited them. 
And Brighton has is is not a good attacking team, but they've also suffered from poor finishing. And poor finishing can turn around at any point because um, we know how accurate expected goal models are as far as teams eventually regressing to the mean one way or the other. Um, so I do kind of see this. It just feels like this is going to be like a 2-1 kind of win versus like a 1-0, um, especially because Brighton's defending has been really bad over the last four or five matches they've given up um weirdly a, a, a weird amount of chances for a team that typically is pretty solid defensively um and with webster out playing a back four they're going to be a little more vulnerable so i think that's kind of the best one but i'm also not super sure about this yeah i agree with the prop market on this particular game uh so for me it's kind of like seeing an old friend or shitting on deli alley my prop is just something <laughs> i haven't done in a while and i miss it uh, so with the champions race tightening up, I expect Arsenal to play even tidier, tighter and uglier football, if that's even possible. So let's bring it back, baby. Under 10.5 corners, minus 120. There it is. My there old is. friend. The th- throwback. It's a Thursday. It's a throwback Thursday. Pick. I think, I think there were two corners, uh, in one of their last two games. So it's not like uh, they're, they're really yeah. opening things up. <laughs> Yeah, so ah, so good. It feels so good. It's like slipping into a warm bath to get that one back on the mic. <laughs> All right, let's just move to the last game. Uh, Aston Villa, 11th at 36 points versus Tottenham, 4th at 54 points. They're ahead of Arsenal right now on goal difference, but Arsenal has a game in hand. Uh, this game is Saturday at 12.30 p.m. Aston Villa is plus 215. Tottenham is plus 125. The draw is plus 255. Tottenham minus half a goal is plus 125 and Aston Villa is minus 145. So look, I, if you've been listening to this pod, you know, I continue to think Aston Villa is just getting too much respect and it's really hard to deny that Tottenham is flying high at the moment as Conte system seems to really starting to be clicking for this squad. Uh, when you cast them at the right moment, when Kane is releasing players all over the field and they're killing teams with their width, and then bringing the ball back to center. You can really talk to yourself very easily into them being the third best team in the league on current form. Um, And then you remember it's Tottenham, and they will undoubtedly mess it up at some point. So for this particular game, uh, Tottenham has everything to play for. They're clearly ascending, and it's too good to be true to be getting a plus number. I think it's a fishy line, but I'm playing it. And, uh, you know, whether Coutinho or no, there's no way I'm laying that much juice at minus 145 for Aston Villa to surprise them. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm same thing Spurs money line. Um, they're easily like they, they would easily be a top four team, probably the third best team in the league. If they, if these results under Conte have had been over a full season, I think uh, Kuliszewski coming in and replacing Lucas Mora as that third attacker has been undoubtedly massive for them. But I think the Spurs are going to win. There's a good plus money line. Spurs win under three and a half goals at plus 175. I definitely think this is a 2-1-2-0-1-0 type of match. So I'm gonna, I think that's something you just take and run. Yeah, and I stumbled onto a trend for my prop that I'm hoping to exploit because it also matches with what I'm seeing with my eyes. Like Unlike uh, the game we talked about earlier between Manchester City and Liverpool and, and how and very the biggest matches against world-class opponents. Pep's teams come seem to come out and really control and keep the game really slow for the first 30 minutes. Uh, Tottenham has been the opposite, particularly recently. Each of the last six league games and eight of the last 10, uh, they've scored in the first half. 
and the only and the only two that they didn't score in in that 10 set, they actually took a clean sheet entirely. So when they're scoring, when they're getting on the board, they're doing it early. They're doing it right out the get go or they're at least doing it, you know, right before the half when uh, teams tend to switch off a little bit. And that's only minus 115 to score in the first half. So that's a bet I particularly love this week. Yeah, I think that's a good one, too, because, I mean, the thing to remember about Spurs is like there are some teams where and subs are generally more impactful than starters in some ways. But Spurs definitively get worse with every player that they sell off the pitch, especially when it comes to their attackers. So you definitely want to go roll with the guys that are starting at that front three rolls out there. But I like it, man. I think it's good. Cool. Well, you're about to hear it again as we get to the five pint. So uh, to wrap up the show, given our favorite bets of the weekend, uh, going into the second round of April, I am up 2.3 pints, but that's just business as usual since I am almost always up in this contest. Uh, and here's <laughs> what I am going with for this particular week. Uh, obviously, it's the match of the year, so I've got to lay some decent action on Manchester City and Liverpool. And you probably already know what I'm going to say, given how hard I hit this slow start earlier in the uh, in the show. So Manchester City and Liverpool, no goal in the first 30 minutes is minus 105. And then Mikey Meatballs, you're going to absolutely hate me, and I don't know how you're going to do the graphic, but I've got to do it. Um, I'm taking a half pint each on Manchester City to score first goal in the second half at plus 210 and Poole to score their first goal in the second half at plus 200. There's no way to kind of separate that out. Uh, So, Mikey, I'm taking a half pint on each, and you figure that out. Then from there, (laughs) I'm taking Chelsea to win and the over uh, 1.5 at plus 140. Tottenham to win at plus 125 and Tottenham to score in the first half at minus 115. What do you particularly love this week, Brett? Well, I mean, obviously, uh, betting against Everton, I love. Um, so I'm taking United um, <laughs> minus, minus 125 at that with that half goal spread, at least for one pint. Um, I am going to ride the Southampton train. I'm going to take, I'm not going to take him the win money line, but I'm going to take him by that one goal at plus 390. I think there's a little more value in that line. Uh, and then I'm putting two on the Spurs uh, win in the under three and a half goals at plus 175. It's probably my favorite bet of the week. Um, and then I'm so hell bent on this draw with City and Liverpool. Putting the last one on one one plus 600 in that match. It just I need I need that that long shot to hit so I can start making my way back. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, it's a big weekend and you're taking big swings. It's going to be plenty of fun on Sunday, though. What do you, what do you, do you have big plans or is it just sitting in the dark with the spreadsheets per usual? I mean, yeah, just start. I mean, I get my blackout shades down and, you know, just have the spreadsheets. I actually print them out along the walls and just put them up on the wall. So I have all the extra data behind the TV so I can see both at the same time. So it's perfect. All right. Well, hope you enjoy your last sac- soccer match before you have to pull from the cap of consequences early next week. So if God, fans of the network, I had, for- I had forgotten about that for like 30 minutes. So that's great. Now it's just back in the forefront of my consciousness. Yeah. So everybody look forward to Liverpool and Manchester city, and then look forward to seeing Brett on uh, either extra points or against all odds next week, having to pull from the cap and then we'll pay it off uh, either on this show next week or depending on what he draws through uh through a video or something that ilk. So look forward to seeing your favorite co-host, embarrass himself more than Deli Alley just for once in his life. Yes, I worked one in. Uh, Arsenal under quarter bet and a Deli Alley joke in the same show. I'm back, baby. Legend. Legend right here, folks. Enjoy them while you can. All right. Well, Saturday, enjoy your appetizers and then uh, the main course on Sunday. Let's go. This is going to be so exciting. We'll be back to talk about it next week with our usual interchange of bad advice backed by expert analysis. See you next week. Take care, y'all.